I almost always now, if I'm talking about sleep training, open up and say, are you getting enough sleep as a mom? How do you feel about this, Dad? And are you as a couple exhausted? If you're exhausted, let's do something about it. If you're fine and you love snuggling your baby at 2 a.m., who am I to tell you you're doing it wrong? Welcome to the Raising Young Children in Wake County podcast, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, former school psychologist, currently a child psychologist, and a former parent of a child in Project's demonstration preschool. I also recently served as the board chair and am currently still serving on the Project Enlightenment Foundation as a board member. The goal of this podcast is to expand services to the young children in Wake County through parent education. In this 10-episode podcast series, we will include interviews with experts in early childhood education, psychology, and pediatrics to discuss topics including the importance of play, managing toddler behavior, language and motor development, kindergarten readiness, how to set up routines, and parent mental wellness. Today, we are talking about the importance of nutrition, sleep, and movement with pediatrician, Dr. Mary Cassie Shaw. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. So Dr. Shaw grew up in Raleigh and went to Broughton High School. Mm-hmm. We're both alums. Oh, goody. She then completed her undergraduate degree at UNC Chapel Hill, majoring in biology and French with a minor in chemistry. Dr. Shaw attended medical school at East Carolina University and completed a dual residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She worked in adult medicine and pediatrics in Durham for two years before joining Oberlin Road Pediatrics in 2002. Dr. Shaw prides herself on expanding the adolescent care at Oberlin Road Pediatrics as she is double board certified as a pediatrician and internist. Dr. Shaw and her husband, Charlie, have three girls ages 19, 16, and 6 years old. Her oldest started college this year, and her youngest started kindergarten. Dr. Shaw enjoys baking, walking, and yoga, whereas she is currently working on a confident headstand. Mm -hmm. I'm a fangirl of that. (laughs) Okay, so let's dive in to my favorite topic, which is talking about babies. Mm -hmm. Every parent knows that babies eat, sleep, and poop. (laughs) That's all they do (laughs) and just need to be cared for and snuggled with during that phase. But what do you see as the most common concern from parents of infants? So I feel like one of the biggest concerns with children, babies, a a first baby, uh, adding a baby, adding a second baby or a second child, I really feel like it's how is balance and being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I feel like parents with a new baby, even though they've read all the books or tried to, or even myself when I was a pediatrician with my first child, you're just overwhelmed with how do I balance things? Am I doing enough? I feel like my parents are overwhelmed with, oh, I've got to buy these toys. I've got to, when my kids, my 19 and 16 year old baby, it was should I watch all these baby Einstein videos, Mm -hmm. which were total crap, but (laughs) should, you know, what all should I be doing? What Mm -hmm. should I be reading? And so one of the things I always do with my parents, especially my brand spanking new parents, is when I bring them in for that first visit from the hospital, I always go through a, a list and I write them down almost like a prescription of like, here's what I want you to focus on and just forget the rest. Mm -hmm. And very simply, I always go, let's read to our kid. Let's get outside with our baby. And about two months old, I start saying, let's put them on the floor. Mm -hmm. Do those three things. Yep. That's it. Don't worry about the toys, the books, the what grandma said and what great grandma said or my mother-in-law said. It's be very simple. Be present for your child. But under one read to them every day, get outside every day, put them on the floor. And then once they're one, they're running around, they're on the floor. Mm -hmm. So to me, I feel like people are overwhelmed with, am I doing enough for my baby? Mm -hmm. And it really overwhelms them. So I try to make it really simple and just the rest is fluff. I I completely agree. And I remember being a new parent and 
being a super duper planner before mm-hmm. I was a parent. Mm-hmm. I was a real good student. As most of my Raleigh mommies are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was a real good student. Yeah. And yeah. I had to very quickly get really just accept the fact that I was not prepared, just get really mm-hmm. comfortable not being prepared and mm-hmm. problem solving on the fly. And it's a little bit comforting when you just adapt to what you got right in front of you and Kids know are messy. that, yeah, you Kids don't are have to, and, messy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you don't have to solve everything before it happens. Cause that's impossible. That's correct. So yeah. be prepared to be unprepared. Yeah, absolutely. Right. When we're talking about those early stages, um, sleep is probably mm-hmm. the biggest question you and I both get probably. Mm-hmm. Um, even though sometimes I don't work with kids until they're two or three years old, I always want to know about the history of sleep. So what are the sleep milestones families can expect in that first year and then going into the second year? So I would say the expected sleep milestones in the first year I might break it down even further. The first two months is just getting through the first two months. Mm -hmm. And I think about what do I want to do at month one is I want to create a bedtime routine. So I'm, I'm a little bit further from birth. My baby is starting to learn day from night, which means that you don't have to tend to them as much as night. And often you find they start pooping less at night. So they're saving their poops for the day (laughs) and they're saving their fussing for the day. They're sleeping at night and not pooping at night. Then putting in a bedtime routine about one month old, simple, simple, simple. Um, I vacationed with folks who had very elaborate uh, bedtime routines for their children and it's a little obnoxious, but (laughs) something simple. Yeah. So what would an example of simple be? I take my baby upstairs. I change my baby's outfit, whether they need it or not. I read them two books. I sing them two songs. And I usually tell people the same two books, the same two songs. And then I'm going to nurse or feed my baby or rock my baby to sleep the first two months. So many new parents come in going, drowsy but awake, drowsy but awake, to put them down. And I go, totally, but that's after the first two months. Mm-hmm. So at around three months old, a baby is going to stare off when they're tired. And you can go, oh, my baby's drowsy but awake after that routine. and Let me put them down and see if they'll pull themselves together. Or a four-month-old will rub their sweet little eyes, and that tells me, hey, my baby's drowsy but awake. Let me put them down after that bedtime Mm -hmm. routine. But the first two months, you're going to nurse them, feed them, rock them to sleep, lay them down, and tiptoe right out of the room because you're just trying to get through that first two months. So by three months, you are putting them down drowsy but awake, trying to put it down. (laughs) drowsy but awake, because you may not be able to, but Mm -hmm. if you can, great, capture upon it. When babies take, going back to one month old, when they take that bedtime routine, simple as it is, start to move that bedtime routine down. So often at one month old, if I pull all my parents at one month old, I go, when are you putting your baby down? And it often is correlating when the last feed is going to be and when mom and dad want to go to bed. Mm -hmm. So for instance, they feed the baby around six. They usually like to go to bed around nine or 10. So mom goes, well, let's put the baby down at nine because that's about three hours after the last time I nursed the Mm -hmm. baby, which makes total sense. And so practice with that bedtime routine right there. After it takes, and I think it takes about a week to take, then start to march it down. So you're going to go from the last feed telling you when to put the baby down to, to as a bedtime to the bedtime being the last feed because you're going to move it mm-hmm. ever so little bit earlier and earlier. The books I have read say the earlier the bedtime, the better a baby sleeps. The sleep before midnight is more restorative for all of us, but mm-hmm. definitely for babies who are hardwired. So if you can get an early bedtime between 7 and 8, if it works for your family. Mm -hmm. So I don't want anybody stressing about, right? you know, I can't do that because my job or I can't do that because my husband. That's all fine. It's just if you can. 
So you want to march the bedtime down slowly but surely, like over a month, mm-hmm. to like 7 to 8 o'clock hour. And that hopefully will help your baby stretch. And definitely as they start learning day from night, I also try to tune out the little – babies are noisy, mm-hmm. very noisy. And I think people aren't expecting that, especially if they've had one that's been quiet. But babies do a lot of mm, 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 all night. So I try to tell people, you know, two, three months, try to tune out all that grunting. Mm-hmm. You know, are we crying because we want to eat or need something or not? And all that little grunting, you can just kind of tune out. And so then I start to see at two months, you start to get like a four-hour, five-hour mm-hmm. stretch. There's that lucky parent who gets eight, ten hours But honestly, that's baby-dependent, not necessarily Mm -hmm. parent-dependent. So you could do the same thing with all 10 of your kids, and each (laughs) one of them could do a little bit different. Yeah. And about four months is where I start to think about naps. So you're encouraging a longer night. So hopefully between one and four months, your baby's going longer stretches. It's not uncommon at four months for your baby to be getting up once to twice a night. Four months is where I start introducing a morning nap. So about two hours after rising, I encourage people to do a mini nighttime routine, like maybe one song, one book, nurse Mm -hmm. you, feed you, put you down. And once that takes, and it often does with pretty quickly within a week or so, then start thinking about putting the baby down same kind of way around noon. So there's your second nap. And then, of course, about half children get a little cat nap around mm-hmm. five or so, which is an evening nap. Yeah. And the other half don't. And then those two naps usually are short. I get a question about that all the time because people are like, they're only an hour or so. And I'm like, that's all they're going to sleep until mm-hmm. they put the two naps together, which is between probably 12 and 15 months. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting a two-hour, three-hour yeah. nap. People always ask me about babies getting up early. Like, they get up so early. And I go, well, what time is that? It's 6 every time. So, like, every (laughs) baby gets up at 6. And people are always trying to put the babies down later so they sleep in longer. It doesn't work like that. And it doesn't work. It never works. I'm like, you might as well just put them down earlier. And that's a trick, actually, is if you want them to sleep longer, I might put myself down later Mm -hmm. if I wanted to sleep in the next morning. But with a baby, I would actually put them down earlier. Again, the more they sleep before midnight, the better they sleep after midnight, the longer they sleep. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I've got like a one-year-old who's sleeping all night and taking one nap, often it's a two-hour nap and nighttime is 10 to 12 hours depending on the kid. Mm -hmm. So this makes me also think about nutrition. So Mm -hmm. we have to talk about these two things kind of at the same time because most families that I work with that will they'll talk about you know something helps some some sort of milestone in nutrition helps the sleep. So Mm -hmm. can you talk us through like transitioning from nursing or bottle feeding to solids and what that does for sleep for sleep you know and actually a lot has been you know grandma would tell you put rice cereal in the bottle at two months old that baby will sleep all night and what I've read from that is like that like 20 more minutes maybe Mm -hmm. you know it's really not that like so I do think sleeping and eating are entwined with each other but not as much as everybody would like, mm-hmm. except for certain ages. Like sometimes I'll have a four-month-old who's getting up maybe two, three times at night. And I go, you know, four to six months is where we introduce food. I wonder if you introduce dinner as your first meal, if it works for your family, would that help your baby go all night? Would they have something that stuck to their ribs a little bit longer mm-hmm. so they could go um, longer? So Introducing food at certain times helps sleep, but trying to do food really early, which you'll have, which in the olden days is what people Mm -hmm. did, I'm not so sure helps Mm -hmm. as much as people hope that it will. Um, The classic example is being put in rice cereal in the bottle, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you still hear, but it's kind of outdated. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the milestones? Because I've actually forgotten them because my my kids are older from when they start eating um, solid food and then they usually do sleep longer. 
Mm-hmm. So, so four months, I usually see babies get up once to twice a night. Mm-hmm. Four to six months is where you introduce food. Six months, it's either once a night or sleep all night. Nine months, it's usually sleep all night, but you will have that kid who gets up um, once a night or so. If they're getting up more than that, I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, you should think about sleep training if you want. Mm-hmm. And I have learned over the years always to tell parents, if you want to sleep train, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the tools. I'm never going to push it on you. Right. Because I start talking to them and everybody sort of fades out and looks the other <laughs> one and stops looking me in the eye. And I'm like, okay, obviously you're not there yet. But, you know, I almost always now, if I'm talking about sleep training, open up and say, are you getting enough sleep as right. a mom? How do you feel about this, Dad? And are you as a couple exhausted? Right. If you're exhausted, let's do something about it. If you're fine and you love snuggling your baby at 2 a.m., who am I to tell you you're doing it wrong? I really feel like the babies always get enough sleep. It's mom and dad who suffer. Right. So back to your question. So four to six months is where we introduce food. We do do it a little bit different um, starting about six years ago. So six, seven years ago to 100 years ago, it was start <laughs> rice cereal between four and six months. And then you do veggies at six months. And don't you dare introduce fruit before you introduce vegetables because <laughs> the sweet, they'll never go back. I to remember the being told that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's all, you know, hoobly doobly or whatever. <laughs> but four to six months, we introduce food uh-huh. now. And what I commonly tell people is if you have a healthy diet, I want you to feed your diet to your baby. Now, I don't often say, and if you don't have a healthy <laughs> diet, now's the time to clean it up, sucker. You know? so, but if you have a healthy diet, feed your diet to your baby. Four rules to feeding. One, feed them between four and six months. That's an easy one. Two, no honey. Three, no choking hazards. Four is those things that um, we used to say don't give your child till one years old because they're highly allergic. We now say get them in early and often, like peanut butter, nut butters, fish and shellfish, eggs, whole milk products. And that's nothing to replace mom's breast milk or formula, but complementary foods like um, yogurt or cheese or Uh something like that. Two big camps you hear is baby led weaning versus puree, then mushy, then baby soft, um, sort of traditional track. And I think to myself, why can't we do both? Why does it have to be one or the other? For instance, if it was cucumber, I might not puree cucumber, that's water. But baby led weaning in their book very easily say you can make a strip of cucumber and the baby can gnaw it. That sounds wonderful if y'all eat cucumbers in the summer. Um, Mm. Why does it have to be one or the other? Choking is an issue with baby led weaning, and I really think that's child dependent. My kids were all huge gaggers. They couldn't do full table food till a year. So I played with baby led weaning with my third child, and she just gagged and coughed. And I was like, okay, this um, is not working for us. But I have families where it works really well Mm -hmm. for them. I've had families where baby-led weaning was what they did with the first one. And then their second one, that was a real big gagger and choker. They were like, it didn't work. And that's why it's Mm -hmm. nice to have choices. And there's really, one is not superior or inferior to the other. They're parallel and they can be mixed. Just look at your baby and see how your baby's doing. Does your baby gag on everything? Okay, let's go to puree and then go mushy. Can you pull in some baby led weaning, which is really kind of strips of food? Sure. Just see how your baby does. Mm -hmm. But if you're, again, there's four rules and it, one doesn't say puree. It says feed them between four and six months, get those highly allergic foods in, no choking hazards, which are nuts, things like popcorn, hard candy, hard carrots, Hot dogs and grapes have to be quartered, but I think I've gotten off the eating and sleeping and more on the eating. That's okay. I like it. Okay. Um, okay. So I want to circle back to the importance of why we're talking about all these details. Yeah. You know, some people may feel like we are in the weeds with the right. cucumber strips. Right. Sorry. But it is okay. <laughs> the reason why the sleeping and the eating is so important is what you said a minute ago about parent 
sleep and parent mental wellness, right? Because that is the foundation of all the play and attachment and interaction you're going to have with your child that day. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about co-sleeping because mm-hmm. parents who, who feel like, well, you know, I like being, you know, up at two with my child or my mm-hmm. child won't go back down until, unless I, you know, sleep with them. And right now that's the only way I can get sleep to function. So mm-hmm. um, what's the current recommendation about co-sleeping? Any concerns parents should look for really within the context of, again, what works for your family and parent mental wellness? Right. So um, the American Academy of Pediatrics would say under one, no co-sleeping. And that's a huge SIDS risk. Now, there are neat little things you can do. There are, I've forgotten the name of them, but they're like bed attachments Mm -hmm. that can go in between your mattresses. So it's like a bassinet attached to your bed, Mm -hmm. but your baby has their own mattress Mm -hmm. and you have your own mattress. So you can sort of snuggle and be beside your baby, but you're not having your baby in your bed. And recently I read an article, it's it's not when the baby's put down, it's when the baby wakes up during the night that the baby's brought into the bed. So yes, people do go to sleep with their baby primarily. I think most co-sleeping happens secondarily. Mm-hmm. I in wake the up, of the night. I bring my baby over. And I really try to encourage people not to do that because the covers and the pillows and and what have you. And I know how easily it happens, but I usually encourage people to either rock their baby or if they're really young, you know, let's nurse our baby, swaddle them really tight, and let's put them back on their surface. Now, over one, you know, like in your crib at 366 days old, you can have a stack of books in there. You can have a bumper in there. You can have all your toys in there. And so over one, I don't necessarily, you know, pop hands or discourage it. It really depends on the mom and dad getting enough mm-hmm. sleep. I will say personally, anytime I brought my baby or my child to bed, I just got kicked in the head all night. <laughs> And I thought, why am I doing this? Right. You know, I did this because I thought it was an easy out, and it's miserable. Right. Um. So I would be like, okay, let's get the baby back to mm-hmm. their bed and what have mm-hmm. you. If people want to co-sleep over one, I really, it's their choice. Mm-hmm. And again, my question would be, mom, dad, are you getting enough mm-hmm. sleep? And if they're like, yes, I am, and I love it, then I'm not going to do anything about right. it. But more than half of the time, they're like, I'm exhausted, or I'm pregnant, or I'm, you know, bringing a baby home really soon. Yeah. And I'm exhausted. And I think we need to do something different, though. And it might be a little bit of a push, Mm -hmm. but over six months in a healthy baby, and the grand majority of six-month-olds are healthy, they can sleep all through the night, and we can encourage them Mm -hmm. to do that. But it all depends on the parent. But co-sleeping under one is a real no-no Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. because of the SIDS risk. So let's talk about when, you know, over one and toddlers, when Mm -hmm. they're struggling to sleep. This is really the biggest question, you know, we Mm -hmm. both get because Mm -hmm. everybody is tired and cranky. And, you know, often if a toddler is not getting enough sleep, we're seeing behavior Um, at school or we're seeing crankiness with all the routines because everybody's just tired. Right. So what can we do if a toddler, like, you know, two and three years old Mm -hmm. is struggling to sleep? So the two things I see there is usually the biggest one is bedtime delay. Mm -hmm. So they have language. Mm -hmm. So they now sucker their parents (laughs) in. And which, you know, I'm looking right here. I'm pointing to this sucker right here. Yourself. Feel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, and I'm not pointing to Emily. I'm pointing to me. Um, that as soon as my, especially my first children get language, they're like, Mama, can I have another kiss? I'm thirsty. Um, I want a hug. Can I have another book? Can I have another song? Right. And of course, we're all suckers for it because it's so fun. That time right before bed is my absolute yeah. favorite even when I'm exhausted, I always look forward to the snuggling right before bed and reading books. But that can go from 10 minutes to an hour really right. easy. And then you're like, 
it's nine o'clock at nine. <laughs> I want to get. You know, then you're getting cranky and mad about right. it when it should be a wonderful transition into sleep. Mm-hmm. And so a, a couple of fun things that I do with, especially like three-year-olds who have even more language, and I always try behavioral techniques, and you can tell me if these are good or not, <laughs> that don't necessarily have to come from me. Mm-hmm. For instance, signs are very powerful. And children can't read, but they know a sign means something because mm-hmm. you've been telling them from day one, that sign says stop, so I have to stop, mm-hmm. or the light is red, I have to do that. We've been doing that all along. So I love when three-year-olds come into my office and I will go, hi, little Jimmy, or what have you. I hear you've not been sleeping at night. Well, you see this sign right here, and it may say like flu shots available or something like that. <laughs> And I go, do you see this sign right here? It says, when you're three, you get two books, two songs, and then you need to go straight to bed. And that's that's what this says. Or when you go to daycare and it says your dues are, are due, you can say, do you see this sign right here? It says, Mrs. Smith says, now that you're three, two songs, two books, and you got to go to bed. And you can remind them of that. And a sign is really powerful um, not sleep-related, but I used this trick all the time on my big girls when they were little. We would get in the um, grocery line. And, you know, they got all that candy mm-hmm. right there or whatever. And they their little hands would be going for it. I said, uh-uh-uh, you see that sign right there? It says, <laughs> not for children under eight. <laughs> and it said, like, Snickers, too, for a dollar. And you this know? works? Incredibly great. <laughs> Incredibly great. I mean, they were my like— My kids are too big now, so yeah. in my head, I'm like, that would not work. And but my, for little teeny ones, yes. Oh, it was great. And my big girls were in Spanish immersion, so they couldn't read English till third grade. So I I was able to use it a couple years longer because they could only read Spanish. But, like, stopping at the convenience store on the way to the beach, you know, that is like a gold mine. And those kids, I'll be like, do you see that sign? It says for not for children under eight. And they, boom, no trouble. So kind of like being at the pool going, the lifeguard's going to call you down. Mr. Lifeguard, Mrs. Lifeguard, he shouldn't be running, should he? No, ma'am. They don't run. If I'm like, stop running. You know, they they don't pay me any This reminds me of like every time that I take my boys to the dentist, I'm like, we should be flossing, shouldn't we, Dennis? Exactly. Wink, wink. Yeah. You know. Could you tell us about flossing? Yeah. I always joke that, um, you know, 50% of my job as a child therapist is just to repeat everything that the parent has said. It just for some reason, when I say <laughs> it, it's like, like, oh, there's another adult in my life that thinks the yes. same thing. I know you feel that as a pediatrician, too. I do that. And, you know, I actually read those sheets. I try to that people fill out. And moms and dads will often be like, we're having a really hard time at falling asleep at night. And I'll go. I walk in the room like they have not put that on there. And I'll go, you know, sometimes kids at four have a really hard time falling asleep at night. Is that happening at your house? Just like out of the blue. Yeah. And the kid looks like, what? How did she know that? And and we have this nice discussion about mm-hmm. how we need to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So signs for going to sleep are really helpful in two, three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Also, stick to the script. Yep. And don't be a sucker. So tell your child, hey— Mommy needs sleep, too, and mm-hmm. you need good sleep. So me and Daddy have talked, me and Dr. Shaw have talked, me and whoever have talked or whatever, and we're going to read two books, sing two songs, and we're going to need to go to bed. Mm-hmm. And you got to stick to it. And so when you do your two songs, your two books, and they go, Mom, say, I can, I'm going to come check on you once mm-hmm. just to make sure you're okay, but that's it after that. Mm-hmm. Other little tricks that I use with bedtime delay— you know, you've got the the parent who's reading the books, and perhaps they've started falling asleep together, and so now the child's dependent on mm-hmm. mom and dad staying in there. And I'll go, you know, do that, and then go, hey, I need to go call Aunt Tessie real quick. So let me run, go talk, call Aunt Tessie. So I'm going to run downstairs, do something for one minute, and then I'm going to come right back. And maybe the next night, maybe I need to— um I don't know, organize my CDs. That shows how old I am. <laughs> and so I'm going to go downstairs, and then maybe I'm going to go on two or three minutes. And your kid's going to be like, what's a CD, and they're waiting. Mom? Yeah, and so th- exactly. And and then I come back, and you make it, you do an odd jobs routine, mm-hmm. and you just get longer and longer mm-hmm. and longer. But you always come back, and parents, though, will do that, and then like 
leave them alone and the kid's waiting up there. The key is coming yeah. back and creating the reassurance, but each night going a little bit longer. And if there happens to be a night that they fall asleep by themselves, you know, yep. thumbs up to that, tell them the next morning, hey, I came back in the room to check on you, to snuggle some more, and you were asleep. You did you it. Did great. But you need to tell them you came back in. Yeah. Um, uh, so I like that one. And I, I, I use mm-hmm. that one a lot when I'm suggesting to parents um, for the reason of for the child to be checked on, they have to stay in their bed. So we have to remind them, don't come get me. I'm going to come check on you. you. Mm-hmm. And so and do it. And, do, and, and do you have it. to do it because they're <clears throat> waiting for you. Right. But the benefit is they're still in their bed, so they haven't stood up and walked around and totally woken up again. Right. So they're still drowsy. They're still in their bed, and you have a much yeah. better chance of saying, I will come check on you. So you stay here so you're here right. when I come back. You know, and that brings up another uh, sleep issue at this age, mm-hmm. two to four, that comes up is daycare will never not nap a kid. Mm-hmm. And kids outgrow naps between yeah. two and kindergarten all the time. So if they're getting a two-hour nap at school, they are not going to fall asleep right. before nine o'clock at night. They're only going to get 12 hours. I will always remember if my three or four-year-old would fall asleep at five o'clock, I'm done. like, we we're gonna be are up till 10. in for it. Yeah, we're in for it. It's like, no! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so crazy. And I have fought this battle for 25 years of trying to get daycares not to nap, but they will not not nap them. And so I often tell parents they're not going to fall asleep at mm-hmm. 8 if they're getting a nap till 4 or fall asleep at 7, 7.30, like that bedtime I talked mm-hmm. about. But you can create a room time. Like when you were in college and you had a roommate that didn't have a class till 10, when you got up at 8, you were quiet and you were respectful. Flip it to nighttime. Maybe our brother and sister need to go to bed earlier. Maybe mom and dad need to start winding down. So you don't have to fall asleep, little Johnny, but you need to be in your room and only have quiet toys in the room. Don't have noisy toys, but they can look at books, play with figurines, have like a 25-watt bulb on at the most, if not just a little powerful um, nightlight or just the closet light. And they can be in their room as long as they're quiet and let them fall asleep on their own. Now, the key is never to let them sleep in because you can't then, if they start falling asleep at nine and you've started room time at eight, well, what if they stay up a little later and then you let them sleep in? Well, then you're going to create a night owl. Mm -hmm. So don't, if their usual wake up time is six, still wake them Mm -hmm. up at six. Don't let them sleep in. So hopefully they'll fall asleep on their own. And they can fall asleep on the floor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, Just they need to be quiet, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk more about the kids who, this is one of mine, have two speeds, awake, like fast, awake, and asleep. Yeah. (laughs) So helping kids know about that wind down time. Mm -hmm. And I love that when you said the quiet time because it just reminds me of some, for some kids, they're very active. Mm -hmm. And they have those two modes, and we have to almost teach them that middle mode of, mm-hmm. like, transition, transition, mm-hmm. shifting into it. So any tips for just slowing them down at the end of the day? And I know a lot of families I work with who whose kids have an ADHD diagnosis, they, mm-hmm. they feel this way. You know, they mm-hmm. feel like their kids are shot out of a cannon at 5 a.m. and full throttle all day long until— um, they're exhausted and they haven't been kind of regulating or noticing their fatigue and their regulation later in the day. Right. And that one is tricky. I think a key is role modeling um, and creating an atmosphere yeah. where we're winding down. So, you know, classic for the children who struggle to transition, anyone struggling to transition, you don't want dad or mom to come home from work late and yank it all up. Like rile everybody up. Hey, I'm so glad to see you. Ah, Let's throw you around. And um, I have this issue in my family. My middle daughter has attention deficit and she can get really riled up. Well, I'm trying to get my six-year-old to fall asleep. So my sweet Molly will come in and, you know, what are you doing? (laughs) And I'll be like, Molly? Molly, I'm trying to get Janie to sleep. You know, let's (laughs) 
calm it down. So I think role modeling, trying to remind other members of the family who get, for whatever reason, their personality, their job, their schedule. And I get it. You want to have fun with your kids. Mm -hmm. My thought is if you want that rile up time, how about you be the waker upper? How about you get them up at six and you play and have fun with them while mom is making breakfast or vice versa or Mm -hmm. what have you. I don't want me to be like mom versus dad, but creating a transition in the house. Older kids or or even younger kids, unfortunately, cut those electronics off. Mm -hmm. Some families like to watch a show before bed. If that works for your family, that's fine. But if that riles your kid up, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And often with younger kids, if parents say, you know, they they have a hard time transitioning to sleep after watching a show or something, I'll say, hey, word to the wise that this is how they're going to be for the rest of their life. So when when they're teenagers, you need to really watch turning those things off, Mm -hmm. maybe an hour, if not two hours before bed. So it's just something to think about how they're hardwired. Yeah. So let's talk about movement and, you know, the the kind of the sleep movement um, dichotomy of like, if they don't get enough movement, I know I see this in my work, they mm-hmm. do not get as sleepy. And mm-hmm. then I see this every single time we travel yes. as a family, especially to the beach where there's a lot of um, swimming. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my children go straight to sleep. Right. When we're at the beach mm-hmm. and it's because they are worn out, out at the end of the day and they never get that much movement mm-hmm. on a regular in-town school day. And I think one of the biggest things there is children need more movement than their parents need movement. Yes. And I remember one awesome mom going, how could my child not be getting enough? I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and she was exhausted. Yeah. But her child was right. not exhausted. And I, I feel for her because she was giving it her full effort mm-hmm. and it still wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. But I do think, you know, your mood after using your body is very different than your child's mood after they've been watching screen. Um, so movement yep. is what they should naturally be doing, getting outside. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm like, are you getting outside every yep. day? It's a rare day in North Carolina that's too hot or too cold, mm-hmm. though I hear that all the time. I know. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too hot for you. It's too cold for you. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I, I kinda, I've kind i kind of been that way, too, when I was younger. And now I'm like, let me put on an extra coat. Let me dress appropriately. Oh, suddenly it's not too cold. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, it's hot. Let's go to the pool. And Raleigh, the city of Raleigh has awesome pools I was a lifeguard and a manager at the Raleigh City Pools. We are a rare city yeah. to have such awesome pools, and they're all over the city. So Longview and Chavis and Optimist and mm-hmm. Ridgewood, blah, blah, Ridge Road, you don't have to belong to a big fancy club. Let's go to the Raleigh City Pools um, mm-hmm. and let's use our body, and the heat will be so much easier to take if you are near the water, mm-hmm. go to Shelley Lake, go to Lake Johnson, you know, different mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. But I think getting outside is the biggest thing. I also feel like when my children got to a certain age, I had to involve other children to get them to move their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't be playing tag and running up a tree, or I just didn't have the energy to play tag or run up a tree, or I just couldn't do it. <laughs> But incorporating another child, like a neighbor or Mm -hmm. a friend, or going to the park and letting them just make friends and go crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But get outside, get outside. Again, my three things, put them on the floor, get outside, read to them. So getting outside to me is the key to getting enough movement. Right. I love marbles. I love all the great places we have and Mm -hmm. keep using those places. But just going to the Museum of Arts Park, um, and I have see great parent groups out there, and mom and dad are just relaxing, and the kids are going nuts. Mm-hmm. But get outside, get outside, get yeah. outside. We're not supposed to have as much energy right? as I they do. So. We yeah. did when yeah. we were their age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, I, I hear that a lot. Like, I just can't keep up. I can't 
I can't get my kid enough stimulation. Right. Well, we've got to find another kid with that much energy. Exactly. And go and somewhere outside together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's spot on. Absolutely. Okay, so let's bring together these three topics of nutrition, sleep, and movement. And what do you want parents of young children to know about how those three things work together for healthy development? Not just when they're young, but across the lifespan. All three are important. You have to have some type of schedule of sleeping and eating. You don't have to be a very strict parent, though some kids really need a strict schedule mm -hmm. and some are flexible, but you need to involve all three of those. Mm -hmm. Like we get up, we eat, we take, I'm thinking about a, you know, four to 12 month old. We get up, we play, we mm -hmm. eat breakfast, then we sleep. And we get up, we play, we eat lunch, then we sleep. So having some type of format routine for the mm -hmm. day. Other kids need to be really tight. My Molly, if I was five minutes late to uh, snack time at 10 o'clock, I knew it. I'd be like, oh, what time is it? Oh, 10.02. Okay, <laughs> let me feed you. Um, because of mood and crankiness? Yeah, she gets okay. cranky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, whereas my other two, I think Cassie was three meals a day. Molly was three meals and two snacks, and don't be one minute late for it. And Janie was kind of like three meals and one snack. Um, my first and third were a little bit more flexible, but I always still had to have that routine. Mm -hmm. So they interplay into mm -hmm. each other, and you want play in between all of that. Right. So I would say they work together as kind of like a song, like a routine. Mm -hmm. Some kids need to be stricter. In fact, one of the first things I tell to folks who come in with a two, three, four-year-old who is crazy, you know, who's really, you know, the three-nager that you hear of. Yeah. I don't have a good term for the four-year-old that's driving people crazy. But I always say, one, are you taking care of yourself, mom? Right. Because this girl, and I'm pointing to myself once again, I can lose it really easy if I'm not getting enough exercise, Yep. if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not getting my fruits and vegetables and healthy food, I need to talk with my partner first and say, hey, I'm cranky because I'm not getting sleep at mm -hmm. night. Therefore, I can't deal with things. Then the second thing I tell people after looking at yourself and making sure your basic needs are being met is look at your routine. Often my more challenging child, I'm be like stricter on the routine. Not so strict that I don't consider them. Right. But I think to myself, this is a child who needs a, this is how my, a very predictable schedule mm -hmm. for the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can kind of outsource mm -hmm. that part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing I tell them is call Emily King. So. <laughs> <laughs> or I give them resources, projects. Or listen yep. to this podcast That's right. that will there be available go. to you for free forever. <laughs> That's right. And I have a list of books that I give folks, but I always yeah. start, how are you doing? What's the schedule? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like the child who is falling apart mm -hmm. might need more nourishment from sleep, from moving their body, mm -hmm. from food. And one follow-up question I have to that is when do you get concerned about picky eating and Great question. any sensory sensitivities? I just I think that this is such a hard question for so many families mm -hmm. who want to act early. Mm -hmm. So they give their kid lots of exposure to all these different textures and things like that. But, mm -hmm. and then sometimes I'll work with families where a child has become a little tiny dictator in the kitchen mm -hmm. and parents are on pins and needles about, oh, well, I'm yes. just trying to get nutrition in their body no. and we have to find a balance with that. So just from your pediatrician brain, mm -hmm. when are you concerned about picky eating? Picky eating. Well, one, if they're losing weight, mm -hmm. that would be my number one. If they're losing weight or not appropriately gaining, then I'm going to get very concerned and I'm going to involve feeding teams and what have mm -hmm. you. You know, I love uh, Ellen Satter is a pediatric nutritionist. I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. Ellen, but it's funny. I think pediatricians love her, but she's kind of about pediatricians, <laughs> but they love her and they quote her all the time. And I think for the grand majority of children where I'm not like, whoa, this is really bad. And again, that's the kid who's not gaining or losing. Right. At the 15 and 18 month visit, when children get naturally picky because they're growing a lot less, 
I try to always ask, is your child picky yet? Mm -hmm. And I phrase it that way by saying yet, letting them know that this is normal mm -hmm. and natural and this is what toddlers do. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, it, they're, I always go, great, we're developmentally appropriate. <laughs> Yay. Because the their bodies, yeah. yeah, their bodies are big enough at that point that they're not just craving as much as they need to yeah. grow and they start to like well, in the slow first, down a little bit. In the first year of life, you double your weight by four to six months and then triple it by a year. And you're never supposed to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> or you have another eating problem. So their growth really slows. And if you think about it, the first year of life, when you're coming into those well-child visits, just about every time, you know, two, four, six, nine, 12, your baby gained two pounds. Yay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Between two and three, your kid's going to gain two pounds. Mm -hmm. And I often joke with parents and go, I could gain two pounds, three pounds tonight. <laughs> I could tell you the place and where I'd go and what I'd have. We're going to give your child a whole year. Mm -hmm. And that's normal right. growth. Look at the fashion industry. You buy three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, two tea. And you sit yeah. at two tea for a year. Yeah. They don't make two and a half tea because they know no one would buy it. Mm -hmm. Your kid still fits in the two <laughs> tea. Why would you buy two and a half tea? So you're saying don't stress, don't stress. the picky eating between two and three. Totally. I would say starting around 12 months to about five, if not six or seven. Years very, old. Years old. They're very picky. Now, a couple of things to quote Ellen, the division of responsibility. She would say the parent is the how, when, and what of eating, and the child is if and how much. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's my, you know, Southern saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So I'm going to go to work make the money, go to the store, make the food. I'm going to say we're eating at six o'clock tonight. I'm going to ask a little bit of table manners, not much, like let's come to the table. <laughs> In my house, we say our prayer. Other people don't have to do that, but that's a routine we say. And let's stay for the prayer. Talk with us about your day. And then you don't have to eat. And what I've given you in front of you, you don't have to eat it. Um, just be with us for a few minutes, a few moments that we can mm -hmm. have some nice social time. Now, a couple caveats in that. Ellen would say, have something on the table your child will eat. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's lasagna night. I'm going to make lasagna. I'm going to make salad. I'm going to have some bread. You know what? I'm going to throw on some strawberries. Now, if me and Charlie were eating, I wouldn't have strawberries on the table. But I know that's mm -hmm. something Janie or whoever will eat. It might be not their favorite food or what they want that night, but I have seen it cross their lips. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're having. They come to the table and go, this is disgusting, which is what I, <laughs> I have gotten many nights. I go, that's fine. You never have to eat it, but this is dinner. Now, I'm also not serving uh, chopped liver and cabbage, you know, so I'm not being sadistic. I'm, I'm, I'm giving fair food and there's something on the table mm -hmm. you'll eat. Right. Ellen would tell you to limit desserts to one serving. Ellen would tell you to put the dessert on the table. She doesn't care. Eat dessert or don't eat dessert, but make it a healthy dessert. Mm -hmm. Like not a popsicle, but a scoop of ice cream but one serving. So you're telling me ice cream's healthier than popsicles. Yes, I would, because it's got some calcium in it. <laughs> you <laughs> heard it here, ton. folks. <laughs> but not a ton better. But So Ellen would say that. I'm not necessarily saying Mary Cassie would say mm -hmm. that, and that's not saying. Ellen says don't get so hung up on dessert. Mm -hmm. um, either serve it or don't in your family. We don't have dessert that mm -hmm. much in our family. We like to, I like to bake and have something, or we're going to go get ice cream. Other families like to have a little brownie or a little cookie each night. Mm -hmm. Do it or don't. So she doesn't get so caught up in that. She also doesn't get so caught up in eat two bites of this, eat three mm -hmm. bites of that. Now, in some families, that really works well. Mm -hmm. By all means, have at it if that works well. In my family, that was World War III. Mm -hmm. And so I try to say, I, you know, Ellen's told me I'm the how, when, and what of eating. This is what we're having. You can eat it or not. Mm -hmm. Now, the other caveat to that is when I'm done eating, dinner's over. 
So, and I remind my child of that. Mm -hmm. So we don't circle back around, oh, I want to eat now. Mm -hmm. And I will often get the, well, can I have some goldfish? Mm -hmm. Well, can I have um, that slice of pizza that I know is in the refrigerator? And I have to stick to my guns and go, no, this is what we're having tonight. Mm -hmm. We can have that pizza tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, classic, I'll always, I try to say, yes, you can have that pizza tomorrow. But we're having, so I try not to say no. Say the yes first. But they kind of go, oh, wait mm-hmm. a second. That's really what she's mm-hmm. saying. I like yeah. to say, whenever you have to say no, tell them when it's going to be a yes. Yes. And it might be a that. yes when they're 18. Right. It might be. It might be a long ways off. <laughs> or it might be a yes tomorrow. Yeah. But I, I do love the, you know, what Ellen says about, you know, letting your child decide when they're hungry and when they're full, mm-hmm. because those are the internal cues yes, that we, we want, want to empower to them with mm-hmm. and we want to cultivate. And that's Absolutely. why it's so important for them to feel that hunger, feel that fullness, feel their thirst, say when they're done. And thank you for reminding us that they just don't grow that much during right. those ages. <laughs> and it's okay to be picky. It's okay. And I would say watch snack food. Um, my patients would tell you that 12 months, 15 months, I try to tell folks, you know, that they're going to naturally be picky. Be careful because grandparents, friends, and even ourselves like to introduce snack food. Mm-hmm. Snack food for kids a lot of time is junk food, like goldfish, pretzels, crackers. I'm not saying you can't have those. But I'm saying, look at those like I might look at a slice of cake. Like, yes, I can have cake, but I need to have cake on Saturday night or when I go out or a special occasion or Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So try not to fill your children up with, quote, unquote, snack food that everybody is so willing to give your child. And, yeah, it's healthier than chips. Yeah, it's healthier than um, cookies. But it's not healthier than leftovers from breakfast, which is my favorite snack to give my kid. Um, my favorite afternoon snack when they come home from school, especially when they're in grade school. Hey, mom, what's for snack? I don't know. Pull out your um, lunchbox. Show me what you didn't <laughs> eat for lunch. And they were always like, oh, yeah. you know, darn it. She figured me out again. And, and if they cleaned it out, then I could say, okay. And I usually had a list A and a list B. Like pick a protein, pick a yeah. fruit or vegetable. So yeah. you can have... Yogurt and a banana, peanut butter and an apple. You know, I tried to make a list of A and B Mm -hmm. um, for them to have to kind of. So to me, a snack is a mini version of a meal. So I try to be careful about snack food because it can push that pickiness. Though pickiness is totally normal. Though it will drive you nuts. everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Raising Young Children in Wake County, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation, which you can find at projectenlightenmentfoundation.org. We would love for you to subscribe to this show and share it with your friends and fellow parents. We're all in this together, and we hope we can make a difference in the lives of parents and children. Thanks to KNL Gates, a global law firm with offices in Raleigh and RTP for their generous contribution to make this podcast happen. Thank you to our sponsors, the Empire Gives Back Foundation and Empire Eats, which includes the downtown Raleigh restaurants, City, Gravy, Raleigh Times, Mecca, and the Pit Authentic Barbecue, bringing great food to the community as well as supporting local causes, especially those that touch the lives of children. Thanks to BHDP, an award-winning international architectural firm, which is recognized for intelligent, innovative, and inspiring design solutions in architecture, planning, and interior design. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we'll see you again soon on Raising Young Children in Wake County.